Amen. Grab a seat there. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. So glad you're with us. So glad you're here. As David mentioned, the discerning among you uh, may notice there's some extra people this morning. Uh, We've had some teams that have come in to help us with Serve Week, and then last Friday night with our Summerfest, uh, with all the people and crazy stuff going down, lots of stuff happening, happening throughout the week. Uh, We had some cool service projects. David mentioned the, the happy ones. Uh, there was another one. Uh, we So I, I was calling around the city, trying to find different people that we could work with, that we would want to continue to work with, people that were maybe in different groups where we wanted to have relationships going forward. One, of course, Sandy City. Got to speak to a guy named Charlie that coordinates the volunteer teams that come and serve the city. And I said, man, I got a ton of people. About 20 people that I've got in this group that I'd like to have serve. Is there anything you've got for us? And man, you know about volunteers. It would be great if it was something we could like see, you know, like painting or planting or something you can mark the progress of. And he said, well, I know what would help us. Uh, we have to edge, hand edge around the gravestones in Sandy City. They could do that. What else you got, Charlie? Any, anything, man? We will do anything you need us to do. And he's like, okay. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it'd really be great if you'd edge around those gravestones. All right. Well, you keep thinking about it, Charlie. You get back to me. <laughs> we danced for a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, obviously we want to do whatever serves. And so that's what this team did. We invited people to fly to Salt Lake City to help with some of what we're doing. Um, and then we handed them, looks like the little things you use when you're cutting up sod, to go into hand edge around gravestone for hours. Now, uh, most service projects, you're trying to motivate people. Uh, that service project was a, a difficult motivation, I'm sure. The, the, the group was great, and they went with it. But it's kind of heavy. It's kind of heavy. And when you layer on top of just the obvious sort of solemnity of being in a graveyard, that you're in a city where less than 3% hold our view of the gospel from Scripture, and you see those graves... And you know, I can't say anything to this person. Their their die has been cast. (laughs) And if you're thinking like me about what we are attempting to do as a church, it's heavy. It's overwhelming. I get emotional thinking about people coming here and being a part of what we're doing. It's hilarious that that Caleb looks like me, sort of. (laughs) As though, though, if we had the ability to clone, we wouldn't be just cloning Josh Ryman. I think that's the only... (laughs) But as I think about the, the goals that we have as a church, to multiply, to make disciples, and to go and plant other churches, it's overwhelming. We are small. In our culture, we are not just marginalized. We're almost non-existent. 
we're going to have to fight really hard just to get misunderstood. <laughs> we're not even like present. We're going to have to really work to just be misunderstood. And when I think about that as a, a pastor or one of the leaders of our church, as I think about that as a Christian who desires to see other people know the Father, it's hard. Until I come to Scripture. And then you start to see that there are models here. There are places in Scripture where it leads us along the same path. And that our Father, who's in charge of everything, knows about Hope Church. And knows about what we're trying to do in Salt Lake City. And He's got it. If you look in the Old Testament, there are places where it just seems like they are fighting the long defeat. They've got enemies arrayed against the people of God from the outside. And they've got the enemies of God arrayed against the people of God from the inside. We've been preaching through the Psalms, just our own hearts, remembering that our biggest problem and our biggest obstacle is not... Outside of us, then it starts, it's inside of us. It starts with us. With our attraction to the world and our attraction to the things that are not of God. Our quickness to give up, to get bored, to get distracted. And the people of God throughout the Old Testament, are, they keep turning from God to idolatry in the same way that we do. And it just seems like they're fighting the long defeat. You have these high moments and they're followed by this constant, just almost cascading down of the people of God. Until you get to the New Testament. And as you get towards the New Testament, the way the Old Testament kind of comes to a conclusion, it just seems like by the time you get to the book of Matthew, it seems like the mission and the people of God are just running on fumes. 400 years without a word from God. People of God firmly under the foot of foreign powers. And then Christ. Jesus comes. Earth Shaking movement happening through the person of Jesus. Teaching crazy stuff. Healing people. Raising people from the dead. Has this incredible ministry where he's teaching and changing. And the world is moving. And then he dies. Total despair and sorrow from his people. And then... Wonder of all wonders, miracle of all miracles. Hope you know what happens next. He raises from the dead. Oh, joy, fantastic. Can, could not have been lower. Now I can't be higher. And then it's like 10 minutes. It's like 40 days. He's with his guys. And then we get to the book of Acts. <laughs> and in the book of Acts, Jesus, is, he's been teaching them. He's been with them as the resurrected Christ. And then... He just ascends into heaven. What? Wait, what? So, just us? You're gone now. Jesus is gone and he leaves behind the little following that was still with him after the death, burial, and resurrection. This little group of people to tell everybody 
Really? Man, I come to the book of Acts and I find in the book of Acts, as it begins this story of the church pushing forward and then again, eventually changing the world. But the way it begins, it meets us right where we're at. Because if you're investigating, you're coming to Hope Church and you're just investigating Christianity, fantastic. Please do. But I think you understand, as we do too, that what we believe has to be believed by individuals all over the world. And how we have these long-form relational conversations with people in order to introduce them to who Christ is. Just the numbers on that. How are we going to get this message out there? How are we going to have every people and nation and tongue knowing and loving and worshiping God? How? They felt the same thing. And in this passage, even in this very first passage in the book of Acts, it has both that moment of, whoa, 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 where are you? You know, as Jesus ascends into heaven. But it also has incredible comfort for us. And that's what I want us to see both sides of so that we're ready as we get into the next part and tells us about Pentecost and we start to understand God's scheme for how we are going to not only change Salt Lake City, but the world. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open it with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in verses 1 through about 8, 11, I think, maybe 11 today. So just the very first part of the book of Acts. And then as you read through this very first part, it says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. We'll get to that in just a second, but let's let's finish through verse 3. Until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them through his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's where we get again this 40 days where Jesus is with them after the resurrection. After he has given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. After even that last phrase of verse 1, he has done all that he began to do and to teach in his earthly ministry. But you reverse back a little bit to understand exactly where we are. It says in his first book, O Theophilus. The author of this book has written another book. It's actually called the Gospel of Luke. So if you look at the New Testament, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then this book of the Acts. And those first four books tell the story of who Jesus was. What he did. What he came to do. Called Gospels because it's the good news of what Jesus did. And the book of Luke was written by this same guy, Luke, who then also writes the book of Acts. And when they're organizing things in the New Testament, it made just sense to put John next to Luke. We can talk more about it. But John, and then you get to Acts. And in Acts, the same author of the book of Luke is writing about what happened after. What happened next? Luke starts with the genealogy, but the birth of Jesus ends with the ending of Jesus' ministry and the ascension. He actually mentions it. And then the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus and continues through this cliffhanger, which leads to us today. 
Starts off, this guy Luke is writing to this person, Theophilus, probably the person who paid to have the book, uh, got the, the money together to have something like this made and copied and sent out to the different churches. The name means lover of God. Awesome, perfect, probably not the guy's given name. I don't know. Uh, but a, a great poetic placeholder for people like us who are reading this book. And hopefully attempting to understand who we are before God, whether or not we do, can, should, love God. And it's written by this guy Luke. Luke who's identified as a traveler with, a traveling companion of Paul, who we're going to hear about a ton in this book, who, who writes a lot of the New Testament. He's first person for a lot of the stuff that happens in the latter, latter half of the book of Acts. He starts to use the, the pronoun we. But he is also a careful historian stitching together the eyewitness testimonies of what happened in the life of Christ and in this early part of the church. It says in the first part of Luke, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Just take a second to understand what's happening. God is encouraging difficult, perceptive, thoughtful questions when it comes to what you and I believe. It's not a dumb faith. It's not a blind faith. It is a faith that takes a final step after having taken lots and lots and lots of legitimate steps. Does it make sense that there is a God? Does it make sense that He's revealed Himself in these ways? Does it, does it make sense that He would love us? Well, no, not really, but that seems to be what He has taught us. You can go through Luke and Acts and you can have all of these geographic references that you can test and find outside of the Scripture. You can go through Luke and Acts and find all of these names of specific historical people that you can find attested to outside of the Scriptures. Why? It's careful, historical, thoughtful account. Stitching together eyewitness testimonies of what happened in the life and ministry of Jesus and in the early church. So wonderful that the accuracy of Scripture opens itself up to testing by people like us. It's not scared of your investigative abilities. Still going to be able to present to you something that is true and trustworthy. And what is this true, trustworthy thing? Telling us about Christ. Telling us about what the church has done and continues to do even today. Look what it says in verse 4. While staying with them, Jesus staying with the disciples, apostles, first believers... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit and that baptism that he's referencing next week. Come back. But look at what it says in verse 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So, again, marching orders. The goal for you and I. This is what our goal list is for Hope Church. What do you want to accomplish by the end of 2025? What do you want to accomplish by the end of 2035? What are your long-range goals? Sit down with the consultants and talk about it. Uh, how about the mass conversion of the world to Jesus Christ and his religion? Let's put that up there, and then let's break that into manageable steps. What? No. <laughs> what? Miraculous impossible How? But that's what we've been called to. He says, you're going to be his witnesses, and you're going to be his witnesses in this concentric set of circles. If you don't know your Middle Eastern geography, why would you? Jerusalem, (laughs) Judea, Samaria, into the earth. Talking about breaking through all kinds of different geographical, ethnic, language, social barriers. To bring the gospel to everyone. Who's left? No, there's no Martians. He's, he's referring to every human, past and present. Must, must hear this gospel. Now, again, look at verse 9. When he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Do you understand that verse 8 and verse 9 are right next to each other? (laughs) Go and be my witnesses all over the world. Yes, Jesus, whatever you want. What? Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) Verse 9 happens right after verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And they're high-fiving. And yeah, yeah. What was that politician that was like? Uh, and then we're going to New York. And then we're going to Texas. What was the name of the guy? Howard Dean. Thank you. Yeah, Howard Dean, right? Maybe it was one of the weirder apostles did that. And they're so excited. And as they're hearing him, as they're watching him, they're saying it to a higher and higher and further and further Jesus. Verse 9, they're looking up. As they're looking on, he's lifted up. A cloud taking them out of their sight. And then, just look at verse 10. They're standing there gazing into heaven as he went. The cheering just sort of dies out. And they're just looking, (laughs) just waiting. And then two angels come up and say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That is a good prod in the ribs to these guys. Hey, idiots, I know you don't remember what all he's taught you, but you will. He's gone, but he's coming back. There's an end point to this assignment. Get to work. Okay. And we'll talk about the work. We'll talk about the book of Acts. We'll talk about the structure. We'll talk about the strategy. But let's start with... The, the, just the, the setting that we're given in the, the book of Acts. Again, it's, it's comfort, but I don't just mean like, let, let me feel better. It's not about my feelings. It's about my confidence. It's about where my strength comes from. You don't go into war without knowing where your supply lines are. Where, where is our iron resolve that it's going to take to do what he's called us to do coming from? It's not from within ourselves. Scripture is clear. We cannot be trusted. It's coming from the outside into us. Where is it coming? Well, let's look again. Verse 6. When they had come together, 
They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Fantastic question. But not for them to ask. He says to them, it's not for you to know, times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Would that not just be infuriating? You know they're asking him this all the time as they go through his ministry. And then this is their last shot. And he just says, it's not for you to know. Now, what's the upside of that kind of response? What it means when he says, I'm not going to tell you, is that there are things that are too big for you that God's got. Here's one of the things that happens because we're Americans, we're individualistic, and we're very excited about ourselves and our own intelligence. We don't really do well with somebody saying, you don't know and you're never going to know. Really? We were at a bookstore yesterday and I saw on the front page of one of the little magazines, Mystery of the Big Bang Explained. There's some chutzpah, right? Just, really? You got it in that magazine? You figured it out? And this is how I'm going to learn about it in a bookstore? You know, the intelligence that we have is breaking down all kinds of cool barriers and we've got all this cool technology and we have this confidence that just seems to know no bounds. And yet, the scripture is clear that God is God and we're not. And the Father is in charge of all this stuff that's taking place. And at first, you're going to rebel against that. But once you beat your head against that wall for just a little bit, you're going to find a lot of comfort in it. Because what's he really saying there? Hey, you've got this incredible task. It's beyond anything that you could ever try to really get done. And it's not on you. God has got this. Do you see the Father of the Trinity is all throughout this passage and it's this Trinity coming alongside us to give us the comfort that we need. He's saying that God's got this. The Father is appointing these times. He's putting together what we don't see. Right now, we only see a part, but then we'll see the whole. That's always the way it is. Oh my gosh, this verse is so good. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, We don't lose heart. This is Paul writing 2 Corinthians. So he's getting towards the end of his time. And the poor guy has just been beaten constantly. And this is what he says. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We got ready to set up for Summerfest. And the young people on one of the trips were having, they just spent a whole week walking and putting out flyers and doing these service projects. And right before Summerfest, they were having pull-up contests on the tree branches. Is that what you felt like doing on Friday without doing Surf Week? <laughs> ah, let's do a pull-up contest. Yeah, bro! And then you high-five or belly bump or whatever. No, maybe at one point. Not today. Now you're thinking, how am I going to pace myself well? If I have a McDonald's hamburger, it's going to taste good, but I'm going to fall asleep at 2 o'clock because my belly will be so full and I'll just fall asleep. As you get older, your inner self may be getting stronger, but your outer self is wasting away. You're thinking about, is my shoulder going to do okay with that? How's my back going to be? I can't move that. Who can move that? Outer self, slowly, constantly wasting away. And yet, what is the Father doing? We don't see it. 
But what is he doing? He is using these light, momentary afflictions. Paul saying that about his own constant beating. Preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Who? Who is guiding that process? Is it you? Is it me? It's God. He's got this. Right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall be known fully. I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He knows you fully. And his love for you is such that he's going to bring all of this to completion. How? I don't know. It's not for me to know, though. It's for the Father to know. You see this all throughout our literature. You have people like Sherlock Holmes or Aslan or Gandalf or Dumbledore. And you have these people that are just seem to be all-knowing and able to do anything. And you keep thinking that the main character is going to get the full spiel from them. And you never do. Maybe at the end of the book, they give you all their cards and say, here's what was happening the whole time. God is greater than Gandalf. And he has got it figured And while he looks like he's sending little hobbits through Mordor, he knows what he's doing. So we trust. Then you get to the Holy Spirit. It says you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I'm just going to tease you there and say, come back next. Let's talk about Pentecost together. But that's the the third person of the Trinity mentioned there. And then let's talk about Christ. Because what does he say next? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. What does that mean? Hey, here's our comfort. Here's our marching order. Here's how we're going to do this. We are going to preach His message His way. We're going to keep underlining this. We're going to keep coming back to this. You've got to get this. We are going to only ever preach His message, His way. What do we mean by that? Jesus had spent a whole Luke before He gets to Acts 1.8. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling us about who He was and what He did. And we can see in those books how He did it. What is His message? His message is this gospel that you need somebody else To stand before God on your behalf. You can't stand before God with the way that you and I have lived. Constant message of scripture. Crippling, horrible message of scripture. But absolutely true. From a theological perspective, the doctrine of sin is just perfectly provable. How long does it take to look into your own life to find it, to see it? And if you can't see it in yourself, you can definitely see it in your kids. Constant. Oh, wickedness, wickedness, sweetness, wickedness in your children. That's your heart, and it's mine too. You've just gotten better at hiding it. You cannot stand before God with the way that you've lived or the way that I've lived. Can't do it. Somebody else has to stand on your behalf. And the message the message that we preach is the good news that Christ has done exactly that. 
that Christ has come and died on our behalf in order to stand before the Father for us. The gospel is that you can trust Him. Make Him your Lord and your Savior. And one day when you stand before God, you're going to just look at a life that wasn't great. He came into it and changed some stuff. It got a little better, but still. And He will say to you, because of Christ, well done. (laughs) Way to go. Good and faithful servant. And He's going to grab you. He's not going to throw you to a pit. He doesn't press the trapdoor button. He grabs you. Oh, come into my rest. Face to face with me. Forever. And we preach that message His way. How did Jesus preach it? He preached it with love. This is how He summed up His ministry in John 15 in this upper room discourse. This is my commandment. You love one another. As I have loved you. He modeled it for us. We're going to talk about it all the time. I don't have time to dig in. But how did he show his love for us? Well, one of the big ones, his sacrificing. He sacrificed everything for us. Think about the fact that when Christ came, he was born to a poor family. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Before he died, he had a last supper with his disciples in a borrowed room. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a borrowed donkey. His possessions when he died were taken from him and cast lots for. And do you know what the sum total of his grand possessions were? A single garment. And once all that's gone, His very life He poured out for you. What greater love? What greater love? What greater sacrifice? So when we come up to you and we say to you, hey, here's an opportunity. What do you think? It's going to require some sacrifice, but what do you think? It's going to show love. What's your math that you do internally when you decide whether or not you want to be part of that? It should, it better, go back to Him. you got to see Him. you got to know Him. Remember His love and His sacrifice for you in order to preach His message His way. Oh, and lastly, I, this is, the list could go on and on. It's as complex as the ministry of Christ. But let's highlight again His boldness. 2 Timothy 1.7 It's one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture for you to just memorize. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The boldness that we have as a people is almost non-existent. And then when it comes, it's way too big. (laughs) It's like kids. It's either nothing or everything. It's just not that bold or you're street preaching. Like at at some level... We need to be increasing in our boldness to be like Christ. Street preaching at times. But constantly, regularly bringing people to the knowledge of who God is through His own personal sacrifice. Listen. 
we've got a gigantic job. Or do we? The church that I went to growing up was a big church. They had big church problems. I was walking behind the pastor one time, and he was talking about a list of stuff he had to do, and he said, yeah, i got to raise a million dollars. What? I can't conceive of a million dollars, and you got to try and raise it? I'm like, yeah, by like tomorrow. I don't know what the timeline was, but it was very abbreviated. But he just said, I've got to raise a million dollars. God's got to raise a million dollars. This is what he's called us to. If he's going to do it, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see how he's going to do it. And then I watched that preacher lay out everything in order for people to see and to understand. And God followed through. You have an impossible task before you. We do. It's a church task. You've got to do amazing things. No. He does through you. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, please instill that message down deep. Let us know in our bones that this is your work. And that as we lay ourselves out trying to follow the example of Christ, sacrificing everything for those that we love, I pray, Lord, that you would convince us that these efforts are not in vain. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing with our sacrifices. You know, Lord, that you have saved us and loved us through what Christ has done and not through these sacrifices. But just, Lord, I just pray that you would make us a people who is ready and willing to preach your message your way, trusting Trusting in your power coming through us through the Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about next week, but also trusting that the Father is still on His throne. And that even the death of His Son was not something that came out of nowhere, but was something you knew and accepted and did for the salvation of the world. Father, if you can do that, we can trust you with church planting in Salt Lake City. We can trust you with disciple making. I just pray that we would and that your name would be glorified. I pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.